The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. His father, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them.
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good, ju- good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. It was uh, 10 o'clock at night. I'd just gotten home from a meeting here at Trinity, drove into my driveway. I was going across my back lawn towards uh, my back door to go inside, about halfway across the lawn, when suddenly a helicopter roared overhead. It felt like it was only a couple of hundred metres above me, like I could feel the breeze from the rotors and I could hear the noise. Yeah, it just hovered over my head in the backyard. And suddenly this spotlight lit me up in the middle of my backyard and I I had this vision of the headlines in the paper the following day. Rector of Adelaide's oldest church shot breaking into own home. You know, like it was that, like it was just that sort of, you know, what do you do? And uh, I thought, enough of this. So I just rushed to the back door, went inside, got inside and I could hear this, this alarm ringing somewhere else in my street. And I thought, well, if it's not me they're looking for, they're looking for, like, and I went around, I locked all the windows, checked all the doors, because I figured that something, something was going on. I wonder when the last time it was that you felt that, that great sense of uh, terror, you know, <laughs> or really heightened sense of being scared. Yeah, maybe it was um, a time when you were caught in a thunderstorm and you took shelter under a tree and you're sitting there and then a lightning strike hits a tree maybe 30 metres away from you and you think, whoa, that was just a bit close, you know. <laughs> or, or maybe uh, you've gone to your doctor to get some uh, reports back on some tests that have been done and you're just fearing the absolute worst as you sit in the waiting room. Or maybe you're in a car. You know, driving on a wet night. I remember this happening to me. 
and uh, the car in front of me stopped and I, I hit the brakes and my car just aquaplaned. And I had that sinking, sick sense as my car just inevitably crashed into the back of the car in front of me. That crashed into the back of the car in front of it. That crashed into the front of the back of the car in front of it. It was, it was just terrible. You know that sort of feeling. Or maybe out walking at night and uh, a mugger comes up and demands your purse or your wallet and he's got a knife in his hand. Now, when was the last time you had that heart pumping, you know, that struggling to catch your breath like there was just a, a ton of weight on your chest, brain frozen, just didn't know what to do? When did that last happen to you? We just heard about the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, and they were terrified. Now, they're out in their fields at night, they're guarding their sheep. And remember, these, these are blue-collar types. Now, these, are, these are guys who are guarding their sheep uh, from predators, you know, wolves. They, they were tough guys. They had to deal with bully boy Roman soldiers. Right? They're not easily put off their game. And then, Luke chapter 2, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, let me say, literally, it says they feared with a great fear, just in case you haven't picked up the point. They were scared witless, right? They were just beside themselves. And this angel is not some sort of, you know, chubby, cuddly, koala bear type person, not, not bear, koala type person, right? Not that, sort of, not that sort of guy. This angel is a highly literate, supernatural Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, this is an ambassador from the creator and ruler of the universe. That's who they're confronted with. And it's worse than that. Verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Right? Night turns into day. That's what's going on here. And when it talks about the glory of the Lord, it's, it's talking about God's presence in their midst, uh, it's as if they get this, this portal into heaven and they get a glimpse of the God who breathed life and fire into the universe. So that's what's going on here. I wonder if you've ever experienced that feeling, you know, that sense of your, your insignificance, your frailty, you know, your flawed humanity. You know, sometimes it can happen when you're confronted with the vastness or the beauty of nature, a ferocious storm or a, a sunset or the roar of a big surf or a clear starry night that just seems to go on forever. And you have that sense of being so small. Or maybe you've had that sense of, of knowing there's so much more to life than you can contain in your body. These shepherds, they see God's representative and they think, we are dead meat. <laughs> we are done for. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And then the angel says, do not be afraid. Oh, right, you know, sure thing, you know. Let's just whistle while we work, you know. Like, really? 
But then, of course, there's the explanation. You see, the angel tells them, this is no declaration of war. This is not God turning up to judge and crush. No, no, this is exciting news. This is incredibly positive. Verse 11. A saviour has been born to you. The Messiah. The Lord. This is the one that God had been promising for hundreds of years. He has come. Verse 14, he's come to bring us peace on earth. And the sign, the evidence, to show us not just words? Well, verse 11, in the town of David, a saviour is born. Verse 12, you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then we get this... um, this big finale, right? The angel is joined by a battalion of angels. This sort of, you know, this is a great choir. But this is a massive choir, right? This is huge and just overpowering. Have you ever been to um, a rock concert where they just crank the sound right up and you just were, boom, you know, it's just shook? Maybe that's a bit beneath you. Maybe um, a concert where, you know, you had Handel's Messiah, and you've got the Alleluia Chorus. It's just so stirring. That, that's the sort of experience we're talking about. The angels sing, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And then the angels are gone. And the shepherds think, Forget the sheep. <laughs> Let's go and check this out. And they find Jesus. It's exactly as they've been told and they gossiped around to anyone who will listen and everyone is just amazed at what they tell them, the things they've heard and the things they've seen. Now can I say, if you were out in the field that night, this is a night that would have burnt itself into your very memory. Can you imagine, you know... um, Shepherd Christmas dinners after that, one of these guys, and they're all gathering around, and the kids and the grandchildren, and maybe years later saying, you know, come on, Dad, come on, Grandpa, tell us about that night when the angels turned up, you know, and so you retell the story, and you can imagine one of the kids saying, oh, are you sure you weren't drinking, you know, like, <laughs> hadn't been on the sauce that night? But of course, if you'd been there, this would have let that indelible impacting message on your brain and your heart. And yet, there would have been some unanswered questions, don't you reckon? Especially as the years sort of rolled on. A saviour will save us from what? When? You know, the Roman soldiers are still strutting around like they own the place. The Lord, God, it was a spectacular night. But the child himself, you know, was pretty normal. And certainly he wasn't born in any palace. Good news of great joy? Well, I mean, it was great. But since then, life has just gone on. There have been sheep to look after. Thousands of nights since then. 
and nothing much has happened. Peace. Well, the Romans, they still operate like the country is theirs. People still are at war with each other. They rip each other off. And life's just gone on. And yet, wouldn't there have been that lingering sense, that lingering question? Because the angels did turn up. They did see it all. And I wonder if those shepherds, just as the years went on, I wonder if they wondered what happened to that kid in the manger, Jesus. What became of him? What I want you to do just for a few moments is to use your imaginations with me and just think about what it would have been like for, say, one of those shepherds. Let's call him Jacob. The years have rolled by. Let's say 30 years have rolled by. Jacob, who was... You know, 15, when he was out in the fields and saw the, the angel, the angels turn up and saw Jesus. Uh, he's now in his late 40s. Okay, still doing his stuff, looking after the sheep. But he's never forgotten that night. And he hears about a guy who's been doing some amazing stuff. Jesus. Same name. Oh, that's a pretty common name. Not that unusual, really. But he hears stories with just a touch. He heals blind people. Paraplegics are walking. And they say he's even raised people from the dead. But the word, you know, the word he just he controls nature and sorts out storms. And when he opens up the scriptures, it's like God speaks right into your heart. And he's about the right age, his early 30s. Maybe it's him, the kid in the manger. And so Jacob decides he'll check it out for himself. He hears that Jesus is in Jerusalem. That's less than a day's travel from Bethlehem where you know, Jacob is still living. So he thinks, why not? I'll take a long weekend and duck up to Jerusalem after the big smoke. That's what he does. And then when he gets there, what he discovers is that the whole town is just in an uproar. Jesus had been arrested. He'd been brought before Pilate on trial on trumped-up charges, and the crowd so fickle had just bayed for his blood, and so Pilate, trying to appease everybody, ordered that he should be crucified. And the day when Jacob arrives, that's when it's going down. And so Jacob makes his way out, out of town, just the outskirts of Jerusalem, to a little hill, just in time to see Jesus lifted up on a cross that he's been nailed to. By the time Jacob gets there, it's obvious, Jesus is already half dead. He's in bad shape, beaten, bloody. And Jacob sits there looking at Jesus on the cross and thinks... God? Yeah, Messiah? Saviour? And while Jacob's standing there, some of the religious leaders, they decide to give Jesus a hard time. 
This is what they say. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God, the Messiah, the Chosen One. And the Roman soldiers, they get in on the act. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And while Jacob hates the sanctimonious, slippery religious rulers, and of course everyone hates the Romans, he can't help have the same sort of thoughts. He's thinking, if, if he's the Messiah, surely couldn't he just get a whole lot of those you know, ninja angels to turn up and sort this out? Surely he could do it. And at that point, Jacob just feels a bit oh, disappointed, even a bit deflated. And then one of the guys getting crucified just beside Jesus decides to join in on the fun. And he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You think, oh, it's a bit of a low blow from a guy who's dying alongside of him. I guess there's got to be a pecking order even among people on crosses. But the guy being crucified on the other side of Jesus, he jumps in and he says, don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. But this guy has done nothing wrong. And then uh, that guy turns to Jesus as much as you can when you're on a cross. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jacob's sitting there thinking, kingdom? This, this guy's just about to die. What kingdom can we be talking about? And then Jesus responds, I tell you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And Jacob thinks, this is a big call from a guy that's as good as dead. And then, while Jacob's watching on, it's about midday, it's about noon, and suddenly the sun stops shining. And Jacob's looking around thinking, there's no clouds, <laughs> but suddenly it's gone black, not just sort of dim, but dark. It's like night, but it's the middle of the day. And it stays that way for three hours. It's a long time to be standing around, standing around in the dark. And Jacob, he remembers back to that night 30 years prior when black as night became light as day, when God showed up. And he thinks, God's turned up again. Well, what does it mean? What's going on? And then, while they're all standing around, three hours, a guy turns up from Jerusalem. He's come out from town. And he tells us that the, the big curtain in the temple has been ripped down the middle, from the top right down to the bottom. And for Jacob... Suddenly it starts to make 
sense. After all, that, that curtain in the temple, it represents the barrier between sinful people and a holy God. The sin that separates us from the one who made us for a relationship with himself. In the temple, it's all about sacrifices, day after day after day after day after day. And then once a year, the senior priest goes behind that curtain, once a year, to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people, to deal with the anger that God rightly has against us because we haven't treated him properly. What did the angels say? A saviour, the Messiah, the Lord, peace. Jesus is the one that God had promised would bring peace. But then it's making sense. Not, not by having the Romans kicked out of the country. He was talking about peace between us and God. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice as he dies on the cross. We don't need the temple anymore. The curtain's been done, done away with. He's the saviour to make us right with God. And just like on that first night, 30 years before, I wonder if Jacob went back home Back home to Bethlehem, glorifying and praising God for all he had heard and seen. Now, I don't know if there were any shepherds there that night in Jerusalem uh, when Jesus was killed. I, I don't know. But if you read to the end of Luke's Gospel, you can see that the events did play out exactly the way I've described them. And I want to ask you tonight, that as you go home, what will be going through your heart and mind as you reflect on the birth and the death of the Saviour? Maybe you're coming to the end of a year and you're uh, just too aware of the major issues you face either because of uh, health and sickness of yourself or someone you love, financial problems, grief because of death in the family, relationships strained or broken. And you think, oh, I could use a bit of rescuing right now because there's so much going on. Or maybe for you, life is going really well and you know, you're on top of the world in so many ways. Can I say, Jesus... God sent his son to save us from our, our biggest problem and it is a problem that we share in common. None of us have treated God the way he deserves. None of us have honoured him. All of us, uh, by nature, have broken relationship with him. But God has stepped into the breach by taking the punishment, the sin we deserve, to be punished for, taking it upon himself on that cross. Right at the end of Luke's Gospel, after Jesus had risen from the dead, 
He met with his closest friends. This is in Luke 24, verse 45. This is what we're told. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Jesus was born to die and to rise from the dead. And he did it for each one of us. At Christmas, what we remember is God has solved our biggest problem by sending his son to save us. Forgiveness of sins, peace with God for anyone who turns to him. Then right at the end of Luke's gospel, we're told Jesus is meeting with his friends and then he's taken up from them into heaven. And we read this, Luke 24, verse 52. His disciples worshipped Jesus. And remember, the close one to them has just been taken away. They worshipped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. With great joy. Uh, Can I say that my prayer for all of us is that tonight as we head home, that our hearts will be filled with overflowing great joy, knowing that God in his kindness sent Jesus into this world to save us, to forgive us, and to give us peace with him. Friends, isn't that the wonderful gift that we have at Christmas? Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful mercy to us. Uh, We thank you for the fact that the Lord Jesus came into our world. He lived, uh, he died, he rose again from the dead. Thank you that uh, by trusting in him we can be forgiven and have a relationship with you that is indestructible. Father, we thank you you haven't left us in the dark, uh, but you have given us great light. And Father, we thank you that it's permanent. Thank you for the joy it gives us, knowing that whatever's going on in our lives, this anchor holds firm and secure. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.